Um, great, so yeah, Isaiah chapter 43, um, verses 1 to 15. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sabre as your ex in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes, and honoured, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not. For I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the east from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witness to prove them right. Let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and, I under and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no saviour. I declared and saved and proclaimed when you when there was no strange God among you and you are my witnesses declares the Lord I, and I am your God also henceforth I am he there is none who can deliver from my hand I work and who can turn it back thus says the Lord your Redeemer the Holy One of Israel for your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives even the Chaldeans, in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thanks so much, Alistair, for that. <clears throat> well, who do you turn to when you're afraid? Uh, who do you turn to when you're afraid? Um, maybe during COVID, it was experts or Google, or if you're an Australian, it was stocking up on barbecue supplies and surfboards. But who do you turn to when you're afraid? And um, well, what does our world do when it's afraid? wasn't really sure, so I Googled a couple options. Uh, I literally Googled what to do if you're afraid. And here are some quotes. Uh, face your fears. Remind yourself who you are. Remind yourself how strong you are. And essentially it was rely on yourself. Basically self-reliance. Self-reliance is what our life coaches and websites of today say. Or maybe superstition. That's what else the world turns to. And it's on the rise. I recently heard a, one of my favourite Australian comedy podcasts. Uh, the hosts were talking about how one of their little daughters couldn't get to sleep at night. So his wife hired a witch 
to cleanse the house of bad vibes and bad energy. And it was kind of told as a bit of a joke, but like, was it really? I mean, they paid money for it. No, it didn't. Actually, she got more scared because there was a witch in the house. Um, and maybe it's horoscopes uh, laying out our future in 20 words or less. So maybe it's superstition. Or maybe if we're Christians here and we're afraid Christianity is going to slide into irrelevance or maybe even be seen as an evil religion of intolerance and hatred. And maybe we're tempted to uh, turn to things in the world that look powerful to make a deal with the worldview powers of our day so that we don't get swept away. Um, well, today we're going to see from this passage why when we're afraid, none of those things are what we should turn to, uh, that we should turn to God when we're afraid. And looking firstly at verse 1, uh, we see the first thing God says to us today in this passage is, fear not, fear not. And actually, the first readers of this, they had plenty to fear. They were staring down the barrel of um, exile to Babylon. It's your boss kind of calling you in and saying, I'm really sorry, but you've got to go to the Russia office. You're being transferred to your whole family. You've got to move tomorrow. Uh, there's anxiety. There's anxiety about what's going to happen next. Anxiety of how it's going to be in a foreign land. And more than that, for Israel, it was all their fault. Now, we heard last week that Israel were meant to be God's servants. They're meant to be the witnesses to the world, but they'd failed miserably. They'd ended up worshipping other gods. And so what is God going to do with them? What is he going to do with them? Well, he says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Give your fears to me. Trust me. Why? Why can they do that? Well, uh, because he says, I am with you in verse 2. Let me read verses 1 and 2. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. He says, I'll be with you in the, fire, in the flood and in the fire. I'll be with you in exile. I won't let it harm you. Fear not. But even more than that, God says, as exile sweeps you away, it's not going to just be anyone holding your hand. It won't just be a weak, ineffectual, foreign God. It won't be our self-reliance. It won't be our trust and superstition. It won't even be our alliances with the world's powerful ideas. None of those things are going to get us through our exile, death, and suffering. No, it'll be the great I am, the great God, the one true God holding your hand with you in the flood and the fire. And he is the God who firstly created you, saves you, and loves you. So that first little sub point there. Three times God reminds them that he was the one who created them in verse 1, 7, and then 15. It's kind of interesting that it's the the start, the middle, and the end. And he reminds them that he's the one who formed them. Let me just read the first part of verse 1 again. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. And he's not just reminding them of his creating power here, but also of his knowledge. He knows them. Uh, our parents, whatever our relationship with them, they 
No one's better than anyone else in the world, even our spouse if we're married, uh, because they were there when we were formed. They know us. God knows us. He formed Israel. He formed us. He knows us like a father knows his child. And he was there at the start. He'll be there till the end. We don't need to fear the future. Uh, but not only is he Israel's creator, he's also their rescuer, their saviour. Let me read verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your saviour. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. He reminds them that he is the God who brought them out of slavery in Egypt. It's not just any old God or idol or power that's with them. It's the God who's rescued them out of the riptide, uh, the God who's pulled them from the uh, house collapsing in flames. He's done it before. He can do it again. Fear not. And here we really get a look behind the curtain. God pulls back the curtain to show us what he's really like uh, because we get the surprising, the shocking realisation that to God no price is too high for his people. He wants his people back so much that he will give the fertile, lush land of Egypt, Cush and Seba in exchange for his uh, sick, poor and sinful people. Just think about it, like why on earth would he do that? Well, here's the answer. Because the God who's with you in the flood and the fire, he's the God who loves. He's the God who loves you. Now, even after um, Israel, his chosen servants, his messengers sent to declare uh, the goodness of God to the nations, They've royally stuffed up. They've screwed up so bad that they've ended up worshipping other gods. Even after all they've done, even after all they've done to him, he still says to them, verse 4, Because you are precious in my eyes and honoured, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. He loves us. Uh, we humans love things that are lovely. Um, if we're in a relationship, it's because we love our partner, because they're lovely, attractive, they make us feel good. But that is not what God is like. God is not like us. God doesn't love people because they're lovely, good, or morally pure. He loves the filthy. He loves wretches. He loves sinners. And Don Carson, the sort of Bible commentator, he says, God doesn't love people because of who they are. He loves people because of who he is. God loves people because of who he is. And God's love is not just a feeling, it's not just a sentiment, it's an action. Because I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. See, God's going to demonstrate his love in that while his people are still sinners, he's going to exchange whole nations for them. He'll demonstrate his love in exchanging his precious ones for people. So God's love is a real, it's a real concrete action. 
He'll demonstrate his love while his people are still sinners. He's going to bring his precious children home. And it may be that um, we feel we've let God down badly. I let him down so badly that he can't forgive us, that we've gone too far. And here God is saying to us, even after all you've done, and he knows exactly what we've done, despite our sin, he loves us. He loves us freely. We are precious. We are honoured. He loves us. And the exchange of his precious only son on the cross is proof, is irrefutable, unchangeable proof that God loves us. We may fear that we've let God down too badly. We'll fear not. God loves us. He showed us on the cross. And if you are called by his name, if you are a Christian that is called by his name, God has rescued us. He's rescued us from sin now and death in the future. And if you're a Christian called by God's own name, you will die and be buried. Or if you're like me, cryogenically frozen. <laughs> but death will not be the end. God will call you home. He will say, grave, give up my child. He will bring you home wherever you are. And not just you, but all his children to the ends of the earth. And this means that the person behind the wheel, the one in charge of our destiny, is one who loves us. He loves us with a deep, unending love, unchanging. So we need not fear. We need not fear our sin, death, the future. Fear not. And if God has said in part one, you can trust me, I'm with you, I love you. In part two, God says, you can trust me because I'm the only one you can trust. No one else is like me. And we're going to move through this at pace. And to prove this point that you can trust God, he calls forth witnesses. He calls forth his own people who are blind, verse 8. And then he calls forth the nations, verse 9. And he dares anyone to come forward and try and prove that they're comparable to him, that they're like the one true God. He dares them. Let me read the uh, second half of verse 9. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring uh, their witnesses to prove them right. God scoffs. He says, are any of you able to interpret world events? Can Alice in Whitehall, the political hawks in Westminster, the horoscopes, the future casters, can any of you predict the future? Actually, Mark as well. Can any of you predict the future with any certainty? Can any explain what God was doing at 9-11 or 7-7 or COVID? No, God, God knows. Only him alone. There is none like him. And God's people have seen his work. They are witnesses. They are witnesses. Let me read verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no saviour. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. 
also henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work. And who can turn it back? So the point is that God is God alone. There is none like him. No one else created. No one else saved. No one else is worthy of trust. There is none like him. And God says, who else can you turn to? The other nations, the other gods, the idols, they can't tell the future. They can't explain the past. They can't save you. They don't even exist. I'm the only one you can trust. But fortunately, the only one you can trust is the one who's with you. So fear not. Fear not. But it's slightly more than that, isn't it? It's, God isn't just interested in showing his attributes, like what he can do. He's actually more interested in showing us his character, what he's like. And what God is like is shown most clearly in how he loves his rebellious people, how he loves the ones who've screwed him over time and time again, how he loves wretches like this. Because he says to them, he says to us, Verse 14, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I sent to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. He says, I've not abandoned you or cast you off forever. I'm not like you. You would have been done with you a long time ago. If I were human, I would have dumped you long ago. I'm not like you. I'm not like the other gods. I'm still with you. I'll be with you in exile. I'll call you home. Because I'm the one true God. So fear not. And when we're afraid ourselves, like there's, there is the temptation sometimes, I feel, when we're afraid to sort of go along with what the world says. You know, our world says, rely on yourself. You're strong enough. But I mean, like, really? Like, why choose self-reliance? What if I am afraid? What if I'm not strong enough? And I wonder if our world is so uh, anxious and afraid because we've been commanded to rely on ourselves. Uh, yeah, take out the one true God from the picture and we're forced to rely on ourselves. But the honest truth is, you know, what can I do about inflation? What can you do about global, global conflict? Now, what can we humans do about death? Nothing, really. And maybe it's not just self-reliance, maybe it's superstition. But I mean, compared to the one true God, they are nothing. What can horoscopes really tell you about your future? Can a carnelian Christian crystal really cure your anxiety? And does Allah love you like Yahweh does? Did Buddha die for you? But if you're here today and we've put our trust in the one true God, the Lord Jesus, you know, no matter how badly we've let God down, no matter how afraid we are of life and its uncertainties, or how afraid we are of death and its absolute certainty. Uh, we need not be afraid because the great I am knows with us. 
Unlike mere humans, he's our creator. Unlike superstition, he's our saviour. Unlike any false god, he loves us. And we don't need to make deals with the world and its powerful ideas. We don't need to fear Christianity is going to get swept away or destroyed. Because the one true God is with us. So fear not. And just to finish on some brief, one thought on application. And we've seen the big application from today's passage. God's saying to us, fear not. But what does it actually look like to not fear? And I think there's lots of things, but I reckon one big thing is prayer. Because prayer is our one big expression of the truth, of the deep conviction that the one true God is with us, that he's on our side. He created us. He saved us. He loves us. And so we believe that actually he's powerful enough to answer our prayers and he's loving enough to give us the best, what we need. Prayer is our big expression of this truth, that God is on our side, that he's with us. And it's why we pray to him, not to Mary, not to the other saints, not to other gods. Uh, We turn to the one true God because he's the one who's with us. And I, I find prayer quite hard, actually. It's part of my job now to pray, but I still find it hard. But almost always it's because I've forgotten who I'm praying to. So maybe this week, my encouragement to us is to try and, as we sit down to pray or stand up, um, just remember who we're praying to. Remind ourselves who we're praying to. We're praying to the one true God and the one who loves us. So would you turn with me to pray? Our Father, thank you so much for showing us in your Son, the Lord Jesus, that uh, you are with us, that you have not just created us, but you've saved us and that you love us. And thank you so much that you are not like us and you're not like any of the other false gods, that you do care for us and that you are in control. Um, And so we pray that we would entrust ourselves to you when it comes to the future, when it comes to death, um, when it comes to our own sin. Please would you help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.